Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I am Tane Nui Arangi, Great Tane, offspring of Rangi, the Sky Father. I am Tane Tokorangi, the lifter of the sky. I am the one who brought the light. I am Tane Mahuta, to beautify my mother, Papatuanuku, mother of all the earth, I made the trees, the steaming rainforests of the tropics, the twisted mangroves of the swamps, the lean deciduous forests of the cold lands. From the heavens, I brought the birds, birds with feathers like wire to dwell on the forest floor. Birds with giant wingspans to travel the breadth of the ocean. Fierce birds of prey with mighty talons. Birds that stood upright with long legs and longer necks and eyeballs level with the treetops. Birds who sang duets of love. Birds whose music would herald the return of the light after the darkness. It was the time of the year when Huya pairs would seek out the company of others and returned to their family group. The worst of winter was over and the bush was coming back to life. The Huya were searching for landmarks, a certain curve of hillside here, a particular stand of Kahikatea, the Tōtara with the deepest cavern in its trunk over there. Some of the markers they searched for were no longer as they remembered. Where the houses of Okainga had been, there were new buildings. Patches of bush they had travelled through in the past could not be found at all. Instead, there were bare sections, with smoking stumps or freshly turned soil. I followed them through the forests of pink and white-flowered kamai. For a long time, they saw no other huya. They did find their nearest relations, kōkaku, and in this they were encouraged. Where there were kōkako, huya may be nearby. They heard the birds before they saw them high on the tops of a dense patch of tower. Kōkako, just like the huya, chose one partner for life. Of all my children, they can sing and duet longer than any other. Tukua, sang the first. Tuk, 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 from the second. At first, all the huya could see was the solid grey of the Kōkako's bodies, backlit by the shafts of sun above. While the Kōkako sang from the canopy, their food was in the layers of the forest floor. They glided down. Only then could the huya see their black masks and the wattles that began at the base of their bills and ended under their throats. Where the huya's wattles were were the pigment of ochre, the Kōkakos were cobalt blue. At last, there they were. Another couple, acquaintances from the spring before. 
They sang notes of gratitude and settled together, turning to each other in greeting. With flashes of green, blue and black as feathers were fluffed, their tail feathers spread to display the white tips. In this place, there was no sign of man or his clearing of my forest. I felt the leaning of flowers towards the sun, the fronds of punga unfolding, droplets of water pooling on a leaf and the movement of weta among the decomposing leaves on the forest floor. My power was strong. And yet, in the morning, wood smoke carried on the wind. The huia set off with leaps and bounds, forever curious with little to fear. And why should they? From the time I had brought them to the bush, they had known no enemies. They came to a clearing with a small tent and a hobbled horse snorting steam into the frigid air. The huia settled themselves into the scrubby branches of a manuka bush and began their morning song. A man pushed his way out of the tent opening, clothed in a rumpled nightshirt, rubbing the remnants of sleep out of his eyes. The huia flitted around him, and he stared open-mouthed at their abundance. He watched one settle on the ridge of the tent, then two landed on a rotting log, a short distance from his stocking feet. The man crouched and extended his hand and rubbed two fingers together. He whistled tones over and over again. The huia twittered back and edged closer. The man went back into the tent and re-emerged fully dressed. He arranged the tools he carried to measure the land. The spirit level and a reel of fine cord then a theodolite out of a wooden box. The sun glinted on its silver curves, and the huia were irresistibly drawn to it. They swooped in. The man was surrounded. He acted quickly, cutting lengths of cord with a knife and coiling some in his hand. He whistled again. Standing as still as he could, one hand resting on the shining instrument. When a stocky male bird came to rest beside him, he reached his long fingers around one of its legs. Well, the bird didn't resist, and the man tethered him with the cord. He caught two more the same way, the birds becoming aware of their loss of freedom only as they attempted to move further away. They spoke to each other, the pitch of their voices changing just enough to warn the remaining female who retreated to the middle branches of the nearest tree. The man was satisfied with the capture of three. He packed his tools back into a bag and closed the flap of his tent. He put the bag over his shoulder and set off into the bush. The birds watched him go, waiting for the crunch and snap of his boots on the forest floor to fade into the distance, for the tremble of branch and blade to still. The female, at liberty, turned her attention to the knotted cord around her mate's legs. I feared for them, but could do nothing to help. I had no power against the tools of man. The female twisted her head and directed the narrow point of her long beak at the knot. She swung a little to the left, then the right. She felt the easing of the bindings as the knot relaxed a little. 
The male beat his wings, and she kept picking at the cord until it frayed. The male strained again. The last strand gave way. He was free. It didn't work for the other pair. They had watched the clever female and tried with their own beaks. She went to help, but these knots were different layers of twists and hitches. The birds had worked so long on the knots that the sun had begun to drop and the light was dying again. They felt the tread of the man returning. Oh, damn birds, he shouted at the sight of the freed wheel. The two birds that remained captive shuffled closer together. The man clanged his pot and tin plate as he boiled water and roasted the body of a kaka on his fire. He retired to the tent to sleep, and when he rose in the morning he dismantled the structure and packed it away with a bad humour. He handled the birds roughly, forcing them into a canvas bag with drawstring at the top, leaving enough space for their heads to push through the opening, their orange wattles and creamy beaks vibrant in the dim light. He strapped the bundles of tent and his pots to the horse. The bag of huia he slung across his torso. It was a cumbersome load. He started his walk along a narrow track, horse following on a long lead. The other pair flapped and witted. They bounded from branch to branch, trying to keep up with the man but he was faster, pushing his bulk at the encroaching bush, slashing with a blade when it was too thick to pass through. The Huyas stopped and watched their companions disappear into the distance. I stayed with them, feeling the absence of the stolen pair. A grey fog moved across the land and settled around the base of the trees. The life force of the forest was fractured. I rested preparing for what was to come. On a morning when mist lay in the gullies and over the river, there came the clatter of hoofs, starting far away but drawing closer. Wheels turned on gravel, voices called. They were voices that issued orders, put that there, take this here, rough voices that cursed at the forest, at the weather, at each other. Horse after horse and wagon after wagon filled the space. Rows of tents were erected. The Huya were curious, but had learnt caution. They moved deeper into the bush to a patch on a ridge where they could watch from a distance. The men began chopping. Small cuts, axes against tree trunks. Next, they came with long saws between them, pushing and pulling in a rhythm. Sweat rose on their bodies, dripping from their shoulder blades. The trees groaned as their life force was vanquished, and I felt the blows as their connection to Papatua Nuku was severed. The men shouted a warning and stood back as the mighty pillars were toppled. The men lit fires. The Huya pair were alerted by the drift of smoke, the ashy tang in the air, the catch in their throats and eyes. Then came the crackle of flames, far in the distance, a wall of orange and blue shimmer. Closer, closer. All creatures were on the move, travelling deeper into the protection of the forest. 
The hawks and owls with their broad wingspans could easily rise above the columns of smoke, beat away and ride the currents of wind. The huia was slower, leap, bound, leap and bound, the fire at their backs. The flights of the creatures were panicked and heedless, but I knew how to guide them. I used my presence, a force so light that they never knew they were being shepherded towards the braided river, with shale banks so wide that the flames would not be able to follow. I had no love for the rats, the mice, or the possums, but I watched them perish piteously before the flames just like the other creatures of the forest floor. Frogs, weata, tuatara, kiwi. They were no match for the grasping fingers of flame. The air reeked of ash and roasted flesh. I called to my brothers to push aside their quarrels for Tafri Matea to blow against the fire and send it back toward the men in their camp. I asked my father to release his tears and he sent a misty drizzle, then a steady stream of plump raindrops to quell the flames. A pair of hawks spiraled down, bold silhouettes against the inky sky, the first to reach safety. Round-eyed rudu with blackened wingtips clustered onto branches of uncharred trees. A distant behind, the huia were tiring, aware of the river ahead but with a finger of flame still following. I could see it threatening to turn to block their path to the riverbank. It caught on dry bundles of debris left from the last time the river had burst its bank, strips of harakeke and tangled fronds of tikoka. The devastation of the forest was an assault to my own core. I used the last of my strength to propel the huia forward. This pair, these two above all others, were told that they must be saved. With one more bound, they were within reach of the water. The tail feathers of the male were singed, the fine white tips stained with ash. They sprung again, wings held out but drooping. They landed on the pebbles of the other side of the river and turned into each other. I watched the line of flame fan the bank, devouring the remaining bush in its path. Without trees, the world would return to darkness. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.